Hi, this is Matt. And this is Casey. And this is Too Much Film School. Today we're going to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original Swedish version. I read the original book, not in the original Swedish, obviously. <laughs> Translated. They to tried. English. I mean, I, uh, they're similar to English, right? Yeah, exactly. So, in anticipation of the Fincher movie, I decided to watch the Swedish film. I didn't like it very much. But this is one of those cases where it's hard to blame the film because I didn't like the book very much. <laughs> and everything that I didn't like about the book is there in the movie. And uh, it's not like they screwed anything up. It's not a book that I love. And then, oh man, how did they tear it apart? Like it was, uh, it was sort of faulty from the beginning. As a counterpoint, I did enjoy the film. I didn't read the book. One of my, one of my initial criticisms of it is similar to the problem with the early Harry Potter books, or movies rather, is that the movies were so super faithful and they had to do like every story point like beat by beat. They like crammed it into the, that movie. Now, uh, and Girl with the Dragon t Tattoo was very similar in that I, I don't recall anything, granted I read it about a year ago, but there's nothing from the book that I was like, ah, oh, they skipped that part or anything. It just was one-to-one. -one. They made the book into the movie. Uh, I did enjoy the story, though, so I didn't have the problems maybe you did from reading the book uh, and tr then watching the film. I think also just looking at it filmically, you know, without thinking of the book, it was well shot and uh, well acted, and a lot of the impact that comes from it is kind of the <clears throat> shot choice, the acting, and, you know, the subject matter being so graphic, they really portrayed it in kind of a shocking way, which is also why I'm looking forward to seeing the David Fincher version, because he does that so well with things like Seven. Certain elements he uses that are filmic language to really convey the impact of what's going on. To me, that's the difference between David Fincher and Niels Arden Alplev. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce his name right. Uh, he probably can't pronounce my name correctly either. <laughs> David Fincher, you look at Fight Club, and I read that book as well. It's certainly the same story and the same characters and stuff, but there are elements of the film Fight Club that could not be reproduced in novel form. And of course, there are elements of the novel Fight Club that could not be put into the film just because of the way that it's written. In The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo... I didn't feel any more or less or different at all about any scene or sequence in the movie than I did about the book. I don't, I don't feel that the shot selection or, or choices were particularly interesting or evocative at all. The, during the rape scene, I think that might have been the strongest part in that it right. was, they didn't necessarily show everything, but they showed enough. Right. But even then there was weird, like tight close-ups of, of their faces and then suddenly cutting to a wide shot from behind and I'm like, why why are you now like letting the scene breathe for just a second and then cutting into another close-up? There was there was weird points like that where it it seemed cinematic and then suddenly it seemed like this generic we have to have an establishing shot kind of uh feeling and I was I was distracted by the sort of generic direction. And then the rest of the scenes Beyond that one, which is so obviously impactful and, and horrible, uh, it just seemed like standard, you know, continuity editing. And, and nothing yeah. really blew my mind. Uh, when you watch the trailer for the Fincher one, it just every shot seems like crafted. so perfectly crafted. Yeah. And this just seems like, oh, they, you know, they shot it, they lit it, it's certainly professional, and there's nothing right. wrong with it, but there's nothing amazing about it either. I agree with that, and I think, again, a word I've used to describe kind of uh, film work with movies like 
this would be serviceable. They, yeah. they it was continuity adding. It was invisible. It let the story go. And really, uh, based on this being the number one bestseller in Sweden, they clearly wanted to do that. I don't know if they were looking for a director to make his own mark and take it and spin it the way you know David Fincher might. I will be excited to see uh, David Fincher's take on it. He certainly has the distance of it's a foreign country and and no one's ever been to Sweden. And he he did have the the insight to not like reset it in Maine or something or right. Alaska. David Fincher may have the elbow room to not offend people if he does makes put his own artistic stamp on. But we are talking about the Swedish version. So, right. like I said, it was it was incredibly faithful, and and so the problems uh, with the story that I have are both there in the book and in the movie. So it's hard to blame the writer and director and everybody involved as they were trying to make a faithful adaptation. Basically, Mikael Blomqvist does not meet Elizabeth Salander until about, he doesn't even know of her existence, until about an hour into the film. And it's a good, like, two or three hundred pages into the book. All the stuff where, she, where she's raped and then she blackmails and, and, and physically assaults her guardian, uh, nothing to do with the story. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, at the beginning of the film... She investigates Mikhail Bloomquist to, to convince uh, the older guy that he's a good investigator. And then she has nothing to do for the next hour or so until he brings her, until Mikhail brings her into the investigation. So it's, but we can't just have her disappear from the film for an hour. So here's a B-plot that has nothing to do with anything other than to say Swedish men are evil. I think, actually, I, this could sound right, enjoyed the rape uh, element. Now, uh, <laughs> thought that it gave it was just backstory kind of on here's how messed up her life is this is where she she's brilliant and yet all of these things aligned against her and made her the way she is which is somewhat damaged you know it's about her personality and i thought that it was actually very refreshing that we didn't jump in and then within the first 10 minutes established oh here's him here's her they're both so good by 20 minutes, here's where, you know, or the end of the first act, here's where they have to team up to tackle this problem like a Michael Bay movie <laughs> would pace it. I thought it was great to see her side of things, see his side of things, and then have them kind of come together naturally through her curiosity. She's looking at his computer because she was investigating him and sees <clears throat> that he's a good guy and honest. And apparently in Sweden, that is hard to come by because... <laughs> Six of the nine men that are introduced in this movie are sadistic torture rapists and murderers. Like this. Which ties into the Muppets last week when the Swedish chef murders. That's true, all of the actually. <laughs> I was surprised. I watched the movie with uh, the subtitles on and I didn't hear Bork once. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's every third word in the Swedish language. So, but no, the, the actual t original title of the book was Men Who Hate Women, and that's. Very accurate. <laughs> if a terrible book name for a movie, I can see why they changed it. Or, but it it's very accurate to the storyline because they just introduce people and then we watch each one of them become a sadistic killer, rapist, whatever <laughs> of women. And I just don't. I would not let my wife go to Sweden. That's what I'm saying because apparently the popular, you know, seventy percent of the population. It makes me rethink a lot of the IKEA furniture I have. That's true. How can this be used as a <laughs> bondage torture device is really, I think, what they put in their design. Well, I think it's pretty clear that, it, that when you're assembling it, it's, it's a very effective bondage and torture device. But, but again, uh, going back to the, my problem with it, the plot is uh, this girl that's missing or trying to figure out what happened to her. And during that first hour, Mikhail is advancing that story, and she's not. 
it's sort of pretty clear just by looking at her and by the way she carries herself and by like where she lives and everything like something is wrong with her life anyways so the the meeting the guy for the first time and then uh the rape scene and then the uh I'm sorry so the first rape scene and then there the second oh, rape scene rape and then the uh and then the blackmail, blackmail eh, I guess also rape in revenge there you go. There story you go. Okay. like that whole, you could take those three scenes out and you wouldn't notice like that the movie would not be changed in the slightest I disagree because a you wouldn't have the you talked about the strongest scene in the movie so it, you know the rape scene being the most uh, shocking or scandalous, uh, it got a lot of attention. <clears throat> also, I think it not only gives her backstory, it shows her level of detachment and uh, cold, calculating kind of nature and just street smarts or intelligence. She's clearly brilliant, and this shows her there's this huge problem that's insurmountable. She's legally incompetent as a guardian. He won't give her money, and it turns out he's Which, a rapist. By the way, did they explain in the movie at all why she's legally incompetent? They just said you have a guardian. And right, like, that, that was odd weird. coming into me, and I was like, okay, is she like 16, or she looks older? And then they kind of hint at it, but I accepted it that she clearly has problems, and so there's someone that's apparently, this is the Swedish way that they appoint someone to look out for you. They appoint a rapist. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, 70% of the population, you throw a rock, you found it, <laughs> you a rapist. So it kind of sets up her level of detachment and cold calculating brilliance that she steps away from the horror of whatever it is and says, this is how I'm going to fix this problem. It's a problem with her, you know, life. She can't get the money because he is only giving her a small amount. She needs it. So she, in using almost, you know, her hacker level of intelligence, hacks the situation to uh, blackmail him and get freedom. So I thought it was her dealing with the problem. It's almost like a detective story where we see how good she is. All of those things are true, but they still don't tie into the story. Like, if the guy knew the Nazi terror, you know, the, the, the Nazi serial killer guys or something, and her investigation led into, into his investigation or something, I'd be totally fine with it. There's just no connection. Yes, it's backstory, and yes, she's smart, and yes, she's tough, and all of those things are true, but none of it has to do with the story. The, the, the main thrust of the story, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's irrelevant to the and story. And again, I think that's why I like it, because it's different than standard Hollywood structure where you learn... Where things make sense where and are related to each other. <laughs> you Oh, this guy's the best because someone in the first scene said he's the best, and then we saw one scene where he proved he was the best, and now we're moving on to why he's applying that. For you know, uh, I referenced Michael Bay. The Rock, Armageddon. Uh, what was the other one? Bad Boys? Bad Transformers? No. The Island? Pearl Boys. Harbor? I'm sort of disappointed that I know the names yeah, of all. Yeah. I'm uh, well-versed <laughs> in Michael Bay's oeuvre. <laughs> Michael Bay has a certain style where, again, you set up, oh, this person's the best at what they do. And if you take, like, The Rock and Armageddon and lay them, play them side by side, they will, per minute, hit up the same of, oh, Bruce Willis is so great at being an oil rig guy. Here's him being an oil rig guy. And Ben Affleck's kind of screw up, but also smart at it. And then Nicolas Cage is diffusing bombs and stuff in the chemical weapons in The Rock. And then it's like, okay, we established that you guys got that they're the best, right? They're kind of rock star-y or, you know, team whatever. And uh, here's the government approaching them. We have a problem. We need you, you know, like, you, you just say, oh, he's the best. And here we're moving on to the main thrust of the plot. Everyone here's, like, it's not that. And so I found it a little refreshing. Day. Again, I'm not, 
I'm not saying that it needs to have happened in the first 10 minutes. I don't, I'm not complaining about the time. You're saying anything. you wish Michael I'm Bay saying... made this movie. <laughs> it would have, uh, it would have been an interesting choice. Uh, I'm just saying I wish it was somehow related. I don't care how, how long it took. Like the hour does seem a little excessive, but you could, you can make the argument for it. Well, it's a little different. And so that's, that's a valid choice, but it doesn't relate. Again, if you can take a t- scene out and wouldn't notice if I showed you the film without those three scenes, you'd be like, I heard there was a rape scene in this, but otherwise you wouldn't know anything uh, was missing from this movie. That's a problem. Like, any scene that can be removed without being noticed is a problem. Okay. Then I'm going to play the card of, did you read the other books? Does it come back in the, in the later ones? Right. I didn't want to bring that up because I, I wanted to right. analyze this as in its own movie and say I thought it was enjoyable and actually... One of the biggest problems I have with the other two movies, which I didn't see, but again, it's from the books. It's a trilogy. This comes back in a big way. Okay. It is almost the entire plot of the second That's movie. the only thing I was, as I read it, I was like, I guess this must come back later on. And I'll sort of accept that because he did supposedly intend before he died to write, I think like seven or something. If you read this as The Hobbit of uh, the Lord of the Rings, the, the Rape Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. I sort of accept that if in the if you're looking taking the long view of this is a larger story, this is the first part of a larger story, and this sequence becomes comes back and it's a it's a big plot or whatever. I can sort of accept that, but um, I can't think of an example. I can't think of a of a counterexample to that uh, because the movie um, other films or. Well, I guess I guess what I mean is the movie does conclude. It's not like Lord of the Rings where like they haven't gotten to Mordor. Right. It's more like Star Wars or The Matrix where the first one is sort of done mm-hmm. and there's there's stuff that does come back and we're like, "Oh, you know, Obi-Wan does have another friend who knows the uh, uh, the Force." But this this film, they they find what happened to the girl. Right. And so the plot of this one is It does seem back. concluded, but there's there's nothing at the end where like uh, her rapist you know, gets up and is like, I will vow revenge or something. Like, there's nothing indicating that this is going to come back in the sequels. Right. And I, again, didn't want to bring it up as the long view of, oh, it's setting up the sequel because I actually really disliked the sequels for that exact reason. I liked the first one because it felt like this was just her handling her shit. This is how she does business. Like, all men in Sweden are rapists, but she is going to, like, she's the wrong one to mess with. And it kind of just built her up as this badass-like character. And it's funny that Daniel Craig's in the remake because I was going to say she's almost like a really fractured Bond-esque character that would have these, you know, adventures where she uses her brilliance and things to solve problems. And I wanted the sequels to be serials, not sequels. So I saw the second one and was like, oh, what wacky, crazy Swedish crime are they going to crack this time (laughs) using her brilliance? And it revisits a lot of the stuff from the first time. I was like, we've... We've been here and done this. I want, I want a new adventure that may use some of the same characters, but has, you know, totally different bad guys and totally different situations that she has to use her intelligence and streetwise and ruthlessness to get out of or punish people for. Mm. And so, I felt like the first one was much better, much the same way that The Matrix and those other movies were, where it's a succinct, you know, complete story, and then dragging up elements in the second one and just being like hey you remember that part we're now going to make a whole movie about this one part from the end uh, that's a problem i had with all of those movies so you're saying you would rather have 
rather than than Matrix, you'd rather have like the Indiana Jones exactly. of rape movies. Yes. <laughs> Again, redundant, but <laughs> speaking of the the villains uh, that you you mentioned in passing, I, I understand that the Nazis were terrible people. And uh, right. we sh- we shouldn't uh, we don't do Nazis, but uh, do we? Do they have to be the villains of every single movie? <laughs> like, is there anything else? Like, can it? Like, it's such a uh, it's such an easy like go to. I mean, granted, we're American. We didn't live in Europe, so there wasn't really a whole lot of Nazis who lived here. Like, we can't right. re- we can't really look at our grandparents and say you were a Nazi for real. But uh, it just it seems to come up a lot. Like in this, True. or like Inside Man, I remember the whole time I was like, "Don't, don't be Nazi gold. Don't be. It's Nazi gold." <laughs> right. It and is this easy and... out, and it. I would say that more than the rape and her backstory is something that they could have done without. Just being a sadistic rapist with, I think there were religious, you know, overtones and things like fanatical murderer things. Like you don't need to say, "Oh, also, guess what, bad guy." There's Nazi stuff. <laughs> like, it's a little over-the-top or redundant. I I don't think I fixated on that when the movie, because it was already so like, oh, he's just terrible, and yeah, okay, whatever, Nazi. And then he put a KKK you know, put <laughs> in his closet, too, for good Like, there, it was piling on a bit yeah. much, but I didn't discount the whole thing for it, because I was like, they are bad people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a trough that we've gone back to many, many times. Right. You mentioned the religious stuff. Uh, boy, this movie is anti-religious. It's actually more so in the book, in the same way that, like, all uh, men are evil in Sweden. Just anybody who, who is even has any sort of passing interest in religion is also evil. And there's even a line. She says, after they realize that all the people they killed were Jews, uh, she says... Oh, these are racist murders. It fits with the religious rituals. And I was like, really? <laughs> That's just part and parcel to you. Just if if it's racist, it must also be religious, and vice well, versa. Like that. I think again back to uh, the history element. Jewish people are a race, and they have a you know common religion. They they get both barrels. I think on that. So it's uh, them targeting Jews. She maybe is using that word interchangeably. No, no, no. It, it, at least it, sat, it read to me, like because I was reading the subtitles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it read to me like she was saying uh, that the religious rituals that the bad guys were doing, uh, clearly they would do that because they're, uh, it's related to being racist. Like, it's not, uh, uh, like, she seemed to think racism and, and being religious were related. And even the, the girl who they've been looking for the entire time, she was interested in religion, and it turns out she's not actually religious. She was just trying to track down their other victims. It comes across as very anti-religious. In, in a casual, like not, like, not like a persecutorial way, but just it doesn't occur to them that there might be someone who is religious watching this movie or reading this book. Yeah, I think that I could see that being there's no positive reflection of religious people in the film. Not I mean, there's at least one guy who doesn't rape anybody. <laughs> right, exactly. So you have... Bloomquist as the good guy saving, you know, canceling out the eight other people, but uh, we don't see a religious aspect, uh, just like we don't see a good Nazi in <laughs> to really say, hey, what about all the good things Hitler did? Uh, no, so I can. So you're say, saying religion and Nazism at the same time? What, there you go. Well, I, I was saying the historical context that people who persecute the Jews or something would view them as the race and the religion kind of tied together, or so. The Nazi element, or even the religious element of, you know, Christians 
fighting Jews. That, you know, no, I understand, but I mean, the, the bad guys, they, they read the Bible and they're like, I'm going to start killing people based right. on what the Bible says. Like, and that's, that's the only reflection of anybody who, who is religious. Like that's Exactly. There's so. no counterpoint to that. And I agree with you. It, it feels like, hey, these guys have all these bodies in their closet and the rape and torture. And then there's the Nazi hat over there. And here's a, you know, crucifix as well. Or, you know, the Bible. it feels like a, just an add-on of, here's uh, their bad guy toolkit. And it does include kind yeah. of religion. The biggest problem I had with the story, and again, back to the book, uh, there's a girl that's missing, trying to figure out who murdered her or whatever. And in my mind, that's sort of enough. And then as as they're sort of looking into the family and stuff, I was like, this isn't this isn't going to be a serial killer movie, is it? Ugh, this is a serial killer. And then and then it's also a like conspiracy family family conspiracy up. murder. Like I want to go into the movie I want to be told this is a serial killer story. Like like seven, like the ads like you know yeah. going into it. Or Zodiac. or Zodiac, Silence of the Lambs, like those movies, like it's a serial killer movie. Here's the thing I like about Thomas Harris's books, The Red Dragon and uh, Silence of the Lambs. They start with the FBI investigating a serial murderer has already been killing like a couple of people and they're trying to like stop the next one and then, you know, the story continues. So many books and movies and it's all over the procedural TV shows. There's a murder and they're like, it's not just one murder. It's a serial killer. It's just a cheap way of upping the stakes. Mm -hmm. And then in this, it's not even... They don't even do it right where one of the two main characters is a is a target. Neither of them fit the profile. The profile of the person. I'm like, gonna jump in and say I actually enjoyed that it wasn't one of them. You know, like I think of the serial killer trope, that is the, one of the more tired ones. Is that hey, you're now the target, or you fit this, and you're you know we're gonna yeah I mean team up. Even that sort it is sort of a cliche, but at least it's upping the stakes in the sense that now you are no longer investigating the crime you are now in direct danger well and granted the guy do. does try to kill him so yeah, I, they both of them are in direct danger yes, they, okay. they bring that in without them having to fit the profile is what i think i liked a little more about yeah it. there's not a large gap between hey the serial murders and then the guy is actually trying to kill them if you find out oh he kills redheaded irish guys then then you're like oh no i'm in danger right now i'm i'm Irish and have reddish hair, so Just I think you can't see that on the internet. When the character figures out, oh, I'm I fit the profile of the serial murderer, then they are they know that they're in danger right now, and there's so there's a little bit of a, a gap. But again, yeah, it's sort of interesting that that they didn't do that, and I'm sort of fine with that, but just the. The one girl being killed is not enough for this story. That doesn't blow my mind anymore. And I've seen so many serial killers on television and movies and stuff that I'm like, there's not actually this many serial murders that occur. It's a ridiculously small number. And right. it's... Ridiculously interesting small number, though. So, <laughs> if you're going to make a movie. No, no, I... I uh, I understand that, like, you make movies about exceptional things right. and stuff like that. But it... At this point, uh, after 20 years of, of Hannibal Lecter, I know... Again, back to the trough too much. Push that button yes. one too many times. I agree, it felt extraneous to this, and if it had been about the one disappearance... Uh, spoiler alert there with me using disappearance <laughs> instead of murder. Uh, but I think we can assume people have seen this. <laughs> okay. She's, so. uh, she's alive at the end. Oh, <laughs> damn it! Uh, I actually guessed that when he came up and said hey she gave me a present like this every birthday 
and then she was killed, and we never found the body. People couldn't see me doing air quotes around killed there. Uh, <laughs> and then, without fail, it picked up the next birthday and has continued for the past 30 years or whatever. I'm like, she's, she's still alive. She's the one. You never thought that's what that meant? Like, I went, that was just in my head. And I'm like, okay, I guess they're pushing this whole still investigating it thing pretty hard. So I'll put a pin in that over here. <laughs> But I'm going to say I'm 60% likely she's still alive here. The conclusion was not a twist to me in any way. And I kind of looked at it and went, you guys, again, she's a brilliant hacker, the girl with drag, and Bloomquist is an investigative journalist. I'm like, that never crossed your mind. That <laughs> possibility. It's not even like you said, hey, could this happen? Well, yeah, everyone's pointing to dead over here, like, right? Sometimes I think I'm really dumb. Because I read, I as I was reading, I was like, that's really fucked up that the killer keeps sending him the flowers I, the, just to mock him. With him. I'm just one of those people, I never see twists coming. So oh, like, I, I have a problem where I guess them a lot of the times. And I think movies have trained me to do this. It's not my fault. But I'm like, all right, there's a twist coming here. Uh, let's go with, oh, it's that guy. This does have that element of there's still a half hour to go when they yeah. kill the bad guy. And you're like... What are they going to do with the next half hour? Oh, she's alive. She's going to... Well, I think that's sort of... And when he says, I didn't kill her, I mean, you're sort of like, oh, well, maybe the dad killed her. No, she's... That's the only option left. Is. Yeah, I don't feel like it was a great big reveal. And it, like, it kind of, to me, felt like a stepping down, a winding down ending. It wasn't like a, they killed him and I'm like, oh, there's still the open thread of... What, well, how will they sum this up? It might be because I already guessed it. It was like, you just have to check the box of talking to her at this point. Uh, but the funny, what I found funny again with the ending, she's like, oh no, I was sending him those flowers to make so he would know I was okay. Or, and I'm like, see, even she intended for the message to be like, hey, just so you know, still alive over here. And he missed the point. She could have just said, by the way, Put I'm a fine. Note, <laughs> note at the bottom, by the way, still alive. It wasn't a very satisfying ending in that it does feel like the big conclusion when they killed a guy. Yes. And the basement scene, like that was all very... Fraught with tension, I felt, and felt like a big climax. And then to do this was just kind of winding down. So I didn't count it against it at the time. But it was a long winding down, I guess. It, it was. It's a good half hour. Yeah, minutes. and I didn't count it against it, but I also didn't feel like it was necessary. Because yeah. I, in my mind, was like, yeah, no, she's alive somewhere. Yeah. Just sending flowers. There's a few um, leaps in logic, and it's hard to tell. I can't quite recall if these were in the books or not. The whole thing about when she's at the parade... And then she looks over, and she sees something, and then she runs away. And they're like, she must have seen a murderer. Really? And there's, there's, some, there's no other reason that someone would just turn away. Like, I'm bored with the parade, yeah. let's walk away. <laughs> like, they, she must have seen her killer. Like, Obviously. that's the only option in their minds. That was sort of a weird, a weird leap. I also can't quite figure out where Elizabeth just came up with Leviticus. She's just like, oh, these numbers. It's not just from a book of the Bible. She knows which book the numbers were, were, were pertain to. Like, I don't know how she figured that out. It just sort of came out of nowhere and she emailed him. I don't know. I kind of wrote that off to her code cracking skills and, you know, seeing yeah. patterns or something. I'm like, oh, there you go. She Bible coded it. Speaking of her, her, her hacking skills, it is 2009 when this film was made. Uh, typing on the computer and then projecting uh, computer images on her face. We're still doing that. Yeah, it was awesome in Hackers. They just got that over there, I think. They did an, an alien in 1979 okay. that happened. Like, 
Why are we still doing that? Like we, it's interesting. We use seeing someone type at a computer is very boring. At least in in hackers, like people were still like had no idea what computers could do, and like they would just accept anything. Like I use a computer every day. Everyone who watches this film uses a computer every day. No one thinks that's how hacking works anymore. In Sweden, things are different. The air is a lot colder, so light travels more intensely. There's less drop-off, so... I mean, it looked like a, a poor man's beautiful mind. Like, it was, like, literally... Like, numbers were, like, going in one ear and coming out different on the other side. It was it, weird. I think it's interesting to see, you know, someone should do a mashup of the different attempts to visualize hacking. <laughs> that Because it's just writing lines of code and seeing, you know, commands, like, on a DOS prompt level a lot of times, even, that just is so boring that... I think they're just trying anything to make it look interesting. So, you know, going back to, like, Hackers or Swordfish, where Hugh Jackman has to, like, assemble a Rubik's Cube puzzle of code, and if you spin around <laughs> the right way, that's what hacking... Oh, yeah, that's exactly what hacking is. So, it's now, an attempt. Now, they... Swordfish, I think, took the logical step of he's getting a blowjob while a gun is pressed to right. his head, and they give him a 30-second countdown right. to hack into a military database... That's the most realistic Exactly. I think it, clearly that wins. She, but. <laughs> she should have been, she should have had a gun to her head, is what I'm right. saying. Then it would be realistic. Yeah. When they did cut to the computer screen, like it literally says, access Michael Bloomquist's computer, yes. and she says yes. <laughs> and it logs on. Clearly she made a program to do the hacking for her. She doesn't want to, you know, write the code every time. It's, it, it's possible, but it was still sort of, I don't know, it, it, it's as if they had never used a computer before. Right. It's. I think they either dumbed it down or just tried to visualize it for people. But a lot of times what she was doing, there are things like remote desktop or VPN where you can just access a remote computer. And it's not even hacking. It's just, oh, maybe that person didn't have their security permissions set up correctly. You know? So I think a lot of this is not even hacking. It's just knowing how to log into a computer. And she does use code crack skills, you know, maybe to get his password. Yeah, no, I mean, it's possible that some of it was done off screen, uh, off screen and stuff. It was just a weird, a weird right. choice to just access his computer. Yes. I also, I don't recall, and maybe I'm just not remembering the book correctly, I don't remember the, in the book that they got together, and in the movie they do, and I was sort of, I was like, you're, you hate men, you're, with good reason, and, uh, like, her jumping into bed with him just seemed completely out of character to me. It didn't seem like a, the, the proper reaction for someone in her state. I think I read it as she has a complex relationship with men, clearly. But she uh, kind of does the living on the edge of, you know, fighting with people in the subway and piercings and all these things to where I don't think she liked him as a man or anything. She wanted the gratification that comes with sex. And then he was there. And he's not one of the, you know, 70% that are sadist rapists, so he will do in this setting. <laughs> we establish that she's bisexual, or you know, in, so she's just clearly very open sexually and lives dangerously with fighting in the subway, having piercings and tattoos. So I kind of wrote it off as that. I think he invests more into it, even though he sleeps with, you know, his office uh, manager or the editor at his paper and things. So I, even though I did... I, felt like she was married or something so as it wrote yeah. it off as just 
Sweden has some very <laughs> sexually open people. That's maybe where the rapes and stuff come in, is that they're bored with just having sex with everyone that they know casually, so they got to up the ante. So I think a lot of things that I maybe let go, I was like, well, it's Sweden. So that's what they do over there. So it might also be uh, racist of me, too, because I look at the number of uh, rapists and people and the kind of her detachment and level of cold calculation and even Bloomquist has you know kind of a certain level of journalistic detective ruthlessness and things that I'm like wow people in colder climates become very hardened <laughs> and calculating and like I associate them again with Germans and uh, that whole region just as a bunch of calculating people who can dehumanize other persons and and yet Oh, that makes sense. That's my <laughs> understanding of all of their cultures rolled into one. So I think me being so accepting of some of these plot points or tropes is like, I look at it and go, hmm, maybe, maybe not. On the other hand, it is a Swedish guy writing about Swedish right. people. And so, so that's, it might be his understanding. Of yeah, no, well. he's an authority, so I'll be like, I'll take your word about it. Just like Chinese people who make kung fu movies. <laughs> that's all they do over there. This guy said so. Their investigative skills... I, it's clear that they're uh, good investigators or whatever, but one one giant problem I had with the whole story was it's a cold case, you know, kind of story, but there's nothing, there's no new evidence at any point. Like, they don't, they don't use any modern forensic techniques to find something that they couldn't have figured out before. Uh, and so the whole time it's just, they're noticing something that someone else missed. No one else has seen over the course of forty years. Because it's not just the old dude who's been like pouring over everything. It like the the cop says like I've been worried about this for forty years. Like I keep going back to it and I can't find it. And no one noticed the picture where she like it, apparently if you have five pictures in a row and you flip through them like a flip book, she turns towards the camera, freaks out, and walks away. No one saw that picture at any point. Um, like the Leviticus thing seems a, because it felt like a leap like I sort of understand why no one made that leap but just her looking at the guy across the street you and said then, the pictures were a leap as well what do you mean? you said her. someone said uh, oh he said she must have seen her killer in this picture because she left the parade oh okay so both of those cracks in the case were leaps of logic that you hated <laughs> and yet you're like why didn't the cop make okay. these absurd leaps of logic 40 years ago so wait a minute. So what you're you're arguing is then that the the cop, uh, by being logical and reasonable, was unable to solve exactly. the case. <laughs> Cops are two by the book, and you got to bring in a tragically raped punk girl with hacking skills and a journalist. These are non-detective, you know, detectives. That's I think what uh, really is. They have the different style, and that's what makes it possible to crack this case because they don't notice the flaws in their own logic exactly <laughs> they're not thinking of why is why should i not even pursue this and then even actually taking that a step further when they figure out who she's looking at they, they go to the lady's house and they get her honeymoon pictures first of all the guy in the blue shirt no one else in sweden has that blue shirt apparently i think i remember when that. they compare that to the other picture and then secondly when you look at the picture in her photo album like it's a parade it's it's a bunch of people at the parade there's it's, there's, it's a gap in the parade. Like It's, it's a photo of the crowd across the street. Uh, there's no like car, uh, cars or floats or anything that the picture is taking a picture of. And the victim is is filling up like half of the foreground. It's, it's a great picture in terms of trying to investigate the crime. 
But it is not a picture that you would put in your honeymoon album. <laughs> like, I did, like, it's a picture you might have actually, like, if it was, like, buried in her shoebox where she had, oh, here's all of the rest of the pictures that I didn't put, in put into album. the album. Because they're not of us. Or here's the negative or so- something like that. Uh, all of those things would be reasonable, but, like, it's, it's in her photo album. <laughs> I don't understand why that picture was there. There's basically three leaps of logic that our main characters make that no one else has made. The guy in the blue shirt is the, the same guy from the other picture. The uh, girl's looking at her murderer, and somehow the, the numbers represent the Leviticus. And I, I don't know how they... Two of those are definitely just retarded leaps in logic that you just sort of roll through. And then the Leviticus one, it's not clear how she came to that conclusion. But somehow, all of the people investigating over 40 years missed all three of those. That's... I think I wrote off the uh, lack of progress on the case, just that, you know, in the U.S., we... I in my mind, have this picture of like, oh, there's all these crimes, and then there's all these people looking into them and overlapping layers, like the FBI, the local police, the NSA, I don't know, random federal marshals. I don't know what they do. But uh, if you said, oh, well, the federal marshal, I'd be like, okay, he was probably looking at it too. <laughs> Lots of eyes on these things. But uh, for Sweden, I was like, you're in the country area. Like, there's a, you know, an old sheriff, or, you know, there's the guy that was looking into it, but... It's not like I don't know their setup of like kind of crime layer investigation layers to where I'm like, I don't know that anyone was connecting this killing over here to this one because maybe they don't have that kind of network setup. So I wrote that off as just, you know, they don't have the overlapping layers and a bunch of people looking at it. So I was fine with it, but it might be again back to my me hating Swedes. <laughs> Because they're so, so not only are they rapists, but they're also lazy investigators. Oh, yeah. Lazy Nazi <laughs> chef Swedes. Bad furniture making. There you yeah. go. There's nothing good coming um, out of this part of the world. One uh, one thing I enjoy uh, watching any foreign film is is that one moment when they use American slang. She After he's been like strangled or whatever, she she runs over to him and goes... I don't know what the what the actual words were, but it really sounded like "Are you okay?" And she definitely said "okay." Yeah. But whatever the Swedish equivalent to "Are you?" Mm-hmm. it sounds remarkably like "Are you?" So she just runs over and says "Are you okay?" And I was like, do, "English? Do I speak Swedish now?" Yes. <laughs> I understand? After an hour and a half of listening to Swedish, you understand it. Is that what's happening? Did I just translate that in my head? What happened? I find that that messes me up more than anything. Really? Like uh, when they say something, I'm like, "Man, that." Garbled stuff almost sounds like English. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making fun of their accents. I usually just get in the, you know, mindset of listening and then seeing. And a lot of times they'll say it in English and they'll still subtitle it. And I'll go like, what? <laughs> like, it's just weird to read it and see it at the same time when it's both the same language. I, I like to, I, you can't do it on Netflix where I watched it, but I like, uh, sometimes I'll put on uh, the cool. English dubbing at the same time that I put on the subtitles. And because they don't always translate it the same way, like they have different translators, uh, and you can get a better sense of the overall meaning of the words sometimes. I cannot stand any English dubbing. It sounds so wrong, <laughs> and just makes it look like I'm like really. That's well, it, it's sort of weird if it's like if it's Spanish or French. You're like, ah, oh, that that sounds like a language like Swedish. It doesn't. Even, they just make it noises, <laughs> <laughs> squeaks and beeps, bork bork. I also thought it was odd. Everyone recognizes Mikhail Bloomquist all the time. And they're like, oh, you write for that newspaper or that magazine. And I'm like, first of all, I don't know that anybody reads newspaper anymore. Right. But I'm... secondly, like, even even if you do, are you reading every byline and looking at the picture? Like, I don't know who writes for anything that I read. Yeah, I think 
I did think, wow, they have print media over there. <laughs> retro. Like, uh, but they kind of establish that he has become the story on his latest, you know, hard-hitting journalism expose because the person he was investigating, like, duped him into printing falsifications instead of the real story. So I could see, you know, there are tabloids following him and putting his picture everywhere so people see the tabloid and go, hey, you're that liar from the papers that writes falsifications. So he is kind of a celebrity at that point. Uh, even as a journalist, I can't think of a corollary here except, yeah. like, Rupert Murdoch, who's not a journalist. He's I would actually go so far as there's the guy who a few years ago broke for the New York Times, I think it was, and was making up stories. Yeah. Right now, can't think of his name. Right. And even if I could think of his name, definitely would not recognize him on the street. Yeah, I, again... And that was a big, giant scandal, too. Right. I, I He would be, you know, at the... I think this movie takes place at the time when the story broke. So maybe we would have known his name, you know, two years ago. Still wouldn't have recognized his face. Right. <laughs> and I attributed that to the foreignness of, oh, in Sweden they have those trashy tabloids that have, like, the front page is just a big picture and says liar, you know, across it. The way, actually, the East Coast does that a lot. I'm from California. In my mind, always comes across as like, oh, maybe that's how they do things in foreign places like Sweden or New York. But don't... Do and they, so he would be recognizable. But do they not have celebrities there? No. <laughs> Name a Swedish celebrity that is not a Swedish yet. We would have been making fun of someone else during this whole podcast. One of the Skarsgård or Skarsgård. Yeah. Oh, right. That guy. <laughs> Stellan or Peter. Well, I don't know which I one. I <laughs> don't know if either of them is actually Swedish or first generation <laughs> or anything. They have an umlock or angstrom or something in their name. I'll give you that. I'm pretty sure one of them is in uh, the David Fincher movie. <laughs> yeah, I think Stellan Skarsgård is in the David Fincher remake. And that just goes to show you how few <laughs> Swedish people... He might not be Swedish at all. And yet David Fincher's like, that guy's got a weird name. Let's put him in here. <laughs> that guy does have a weird name. Uh, apparently they asked Numi Rapace to come back and play the same character and she's like, I'm not doing that again. I think that's a wise choice. She's moved on. She's got three movies coming out. She's in the Sherlock Holmes. She's cashing in on her oh, yeah. with, and doesn't want to get pigeonholed as, oh, that's all you can do. There was also, uh, there's some weird like scene choices in terms of, I think this goes back to trying to cram everything from the book into the movie there are some weird scenes that nothing leads into them and then they're sort of never mentioned again like when he's he's just jogging and we're like oh he jogs now and then someone shoots at him when they cut to the him jogging i can't remember what the scene before it was but it was just, out of place yeah and it was just like he's jogging now and there's a couple of other ones where like the whole subway scene like they just cut to her on the subway and i'm like oh why why where is she going what is she what is the goal of the scene and then some guys attack her um and so like the goal of the scene was the attack but it's like at the beginning of the scene, I'm like, I'm not even sure what she's trying to accomplish. And, like, right. him, the, the jogging, other than, I guess, exercise. Hell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting older, you gotta keep... I... But, it, but, I mean, in terms of, like, here's a character who has a goal for the film to solve this case. Nah, he's taking a break. What, yeah, are we... why is there a problem? You seem very utilitarian in your demands from a movie. I, I am. <laughs> sometimes characters have to just go get a burrito, go to the bathroom or something. Uh... So I didn't find a problem with that. And yes, they were just setting up, hey, they attacked for the create the feeling of danger or with her, the backstory and the rough and tumble nature of her. So I don't think when they cut to him jogging, I said, why is he jogging? This is wasting my time. Get back to the case. Oh, he's being shot. All right, now I understand. Well, no, I mean, if it was like, if they were 
talking about the case or whatever, and he's like, I gotta, I can't, I, I gotta to clear go my jogging. head. Well, no, he's like, uh, I gotta clear, or something. Like, I have to clear my head. I'm going jogging. <laughs> staring into the camera. Or like, when she gets on the, when she's on the subway, it's like, if, if I just knew where she was going. If she was just going home, you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, it, it just cuts to her on the subway yeah. so that she can be attacked on the subway. Like, there's... I'm gonna say I disagree with your entire argument there because I like just peppering in. Here's some scenes. It it does make it feel a bit uh, disjointed or intercutty with going to his storyline, coming back, and she's doing something. Maybe she's eating Thai food and then gets attacked. Like, <laughs> I don't have to see the Lita in where we cut to her waking up and be like, I feel like Thai food. Uh, just kind of cutting back and forth, you know, just giving a slice of like, here's what she's doing at this moment. While we're not with her, she's doing other things. They may not relate to the case. She may not say out loud what she's going to do. So, I was fine with it. Uh, it's, it, it gives a sense of being disjointed. Yes. And actually, again, I liked that element because it, it felt dangerous, you know? It felt foreign. It <laughs> felt uh, cutty, you know, in a fast-paced style. So, I didn't want them to link everything together and be like, oh, let me call her and see what she's doing. Oh, you're getting on the subway to go <laughs> to work? I'm saying there's a non-retarded way of connecting. Right, no, yeah, there probably would be. I'm, I'm taking your opinion down to the most base level they could possibly institute it to invalidate it. All the stuff about the serial killer turns out not related to the case at all. Like, ultimately, uh, all of that was a sidetrack. She's just in Australia. And it was, I would say that's not entirely accurate. She is in Australia because her family is serial killers, and she flees because she has found out that they're serial killers, and then, you know... And, I mean, the sidetrack was, like, oh, and rapists and many other things <laughs> that they do inflict on her. It's not like she's Jewish and she's their next target and has to flee, but she does find out about it, and now she's in danger the way Michael Bloomfist was for right. cracking the case. So, it's... Partially related. But if she had just looked into the girl's name, like you said, first of all, it's kind of obvious that she is alive. Uh, apparently there was two different girls with that name who went to London or something, and then one of them died and one of them went to Australia. If she had just sort of put that Follow together them. first and gone to Australia, like, and she was like, I ran away because my uncle's a serial killer. Oh, wow. well, that's odd. Maybe we should go tell the Swedish police about that. Like... The story could have, like, worked out a lot. Like, like ultimately, like, his goal was to find uh, his niece. Right. And that was sort of the extent of it. And so the serial killer, like, I'm sure if he knew that his brother and nephew were serial killers and Nazis and everything, like, he would have uh, been upset about that. But, like, that's not what he was trying to find out. He was trying to find the girl. They Apparently, they could have found the girl all along. Yeah, I think with your... Uh points earlier about this nobody in 40 years has looked into these you know jewish girls getting murdered in a bizarre way in the 40 years of or 20 years of her being disappeared like i could see the murders not being solved but that's not what he was trying to do like the girl he wasn't even aware those murders were connected yeah so the but this rich and powerful guy not being able to find you know his niece i think is a little less believable with her not coming forward or saying, like, oh, my uh, father and brother were violent rapists, serial killers. Like, she was afraid, and we do get a sense of, like, how powerful the family is and that they could cover things up if they wanted to, or they, they have the, the business, their corporation, and the money and stuff. So I could see her, you know, particularly at her younger age, being like, there's no way. Oh, yeah, I get, like, I get that. The flight makes sense. 
maybe as she grows older, she's like, I don't even want to risk it, you know. But in the in the years between, with the you know well-meaning uncle being like, where is she? Like, I would think he would have gotten farther. The the stuff that is not seen on screen it doesn't really add up. And then at the very end of the film, uh, after they find the girl and the family's reunited, Numi repays. She robbed the guy's Cayman Islands account. Bloomquist looks at the security footage, sees that it's her. Final shot of the film. Or the final like, scene. Fancy limo pulls up. They're sort of on the beach. And drops her off. And she just starts walking. She's rich What's... now. <laughs> she won. Yay. What? She, I think she even killed the guy that uh, blackmailed or ruined Michael Bloomquist. Was exposed for oh, his yeah, lies. Like, oh, they say. His money disappears. And now he's dead. She, I can trace that back to how badass she is. is that, yeah. Hey, I solved this murder over here. I blackmailed my uh, rapist. And now I'm just, I know this guy's bad. Kind of unrelated to me, affected the guy I, you know, like, uh, for whatever that's worth. So I'm going to steal his money, kill him, and, live, you know, change my life. So I think it just shows how good she is. No, no. All of that is conveyed when he looks at the security footage and zooms in, and it's we her. see that it's her face. That's the end of the movie. Oh, okay. Cutting to her on the beach, the I scene think... doesn't convey anything at all that was not already, like, done. I think that scene is for stupid people. <laughs> if they had just shown the security footage and then him smiling and then it cuts no, no. and goes, do you know? Like, they already have something? the stupid people because he looks at the picture. The picture's pretty clear that it's her anyways, but he goes, Lisbeth. Like, it's there. There's some like... very dumb people in Sweden. <laughs> not racist, but... Uh, <laughs> And in America, who would not get that, uh, or they want the victory lap of, oh, and here's her enjoying it. Like, but she's not even doing anything enjoying she's with it. out of limo. She got I out of her limo. If you're, right, if you're in a limo, you're enjoying it. That's filmic <laughs> language. 101, I like life. She, she, like if she was riding in the limo and she had a suitcase full of cash, I'd be like, okay, I get that. That would be, that would that, be terrible. And she's like smiling, <laughs> looking at the camera. I am happy now. I have money. I'm in a limo. I won. When she gets out of the car and she basically turns and winks to the camera and then walks away. And she doesn't even have anything. Like she doesn't even have like a briefcase. Like, I don't know where all the... I suppose she it's probably transferred it electronics. electronics. She's a hacker. Yes. God. In which case, why did she have to go to the Cayman Islands? God. First, you're, you're arguing that they dumbed it down with a shot. <laughs> and then you're like, and it wasn't dumbed <laughs> down enough. It was medium dumb, and I was not happy with that. Either don't be dumb or be really dumb. Those are the two. Like, I just don't like uh, mediocrity in my dumbness. Right. Um, it, it was a choice for them to end it there instead of one shot earlier. It might have been stronger. I didn't count it against it. Uh, so ultimately, uh, I find the story uh, frustrating in parts. The movie itself is well done, and certainly the acting is good. But uh, if anybody ever tells me to go see a movie because of the acting, I know immediately I will not enjoy the movie. I <laughs> That's oh, just the sort of guy I am. I think I enjoyed it more than you. I didn't read the book, so maybe I didn't carry in any of the issues you had seen in the writing. I liked a lot of the foreignness of it with the kind of level of tension. I felt they could pull off a lot more like cold, cynical, or just mass amounts of rape and torture and have it believable. I think actually one thing this movie did well that others have failed at is the multiple killer, team zero killers. Like uh, movies like Kiss the Girls, I think, had... A serial killer that Morgan Freeman's investigating, but it doesn't make sense because this guy who's the leading suspect was had a clear alibi. He was here doing this. He was teaching a class. He's a professor. 
like, oh, we have to discredit, you know, take him out of the investigation. But then it turns out, no, he is the killer, and he's got a friend that they met in a chat room or something, and they, oh, yeah, I also like kidnapping women, torturing them, you know, raping them and killing them. Hey, we share similar interests. Let's get together and do that, and they'll never be able to catch us. Is the least believable thing ever, because if you're a serial killer, like, A, the chance that your mania or your, you know, fetishes will line up perfectly <laughs> is a little low. I realize there are websites for people with specific fetishes, but then you go, oh, you like binding them before killing them? You know, I like dressing them up afterwards. <laughs> like, these kind of problems, they would be like, yeah, we're not going to click. <laughs> but by that point, you've already revealed that you're a serial killer to this person, so you're going to kill them as well, because they now have the... Like, these relationships would self-destruct very early on. And then just the level, again, of trust that, oh, I'm going to trust this other serial killer person. I think this movie does it in a way where, obviously, it's his son, and he brings him up and kind of indoctrinates him in this, you know, kind of... Yeah, one created the other. Right. So you believe that they sync up and that he would kind of carry on the legacy. So this did that in a way that uh, I think others failed in, so I that gave actually, some credit. I agree with you there. Like, it, I... That was one of the more believable and understandable parts. Although, I did get a vague sense of they wanted it to be Nazis, but the guy would be too old, so they had to make his son also a serial killer. Like, I, it did feel like that. And that might not be the case. And maybe I'm just sort of reading too much into it. But, like, it, it sort of felt like that. Uh, just like in... Uh, it was a weird comparison. In Back to the Future, in the original draft, Marty McFly was an only child when they wanted to make it in 1980 to, to go back to 1955. Uh, but when they, when it, when they, it took a few years to get the film made, they realized it's weird if he's an only child at, uh, at that, that time difference. So, uh, they, they gave him two older siblings. Um, that's sort of what this felt like, that they wanted the bad guy to be a Nazi, uh, but the, he would have been too old, so let's let's make his son also a serial killer. Yeah, I think uh, serial killer is easier to indoctrinate someone to than uh, Nazism for <laughs> the time difference of like, oh yeah, look at all these Jews right here. And you're like, that's kind of old school, Dad. I don't see the prevalence of what you're talking about right he now. He does sort of say that. He's like, yeah, I don't know, I don't care about all the religious stuff. I'm just in it for the killing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sort of, uh, I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> I did enjoy the story, you know, elements, the grittiness, the kind of pushing the envelope with the rape. And I liked her as a character. I felt she was smart and tactical and, you know, she got this fractured past. And the filmmaking, I think, was more just serviceable um, to kind of get the story out there. It didn't distract from it. Uh, I think a lot of the things I kind of thought were innovative about it might just be foreignness where it wasn't even like the shot selections and things, it was kind of the starkness, but maybe that's just the people and the city and skylines of Sweden or the snow drifts that I'm not used to seeing, and so I was reading into those. But I think as a film, it did its job, and I enjoyed it. In terms of the foreignness, the location, and certainly the language, are, are foreign, but uh, like the actual sort of filmmaking style of continuity editing and you know the rule of thirds in the framing of shots and things of that sort... It seemed pretty, like, it didn't seem like a foreign film. It seemed like an American, like, you know, glossy, oh. high production value, uh, generally uh, continuity editing, except for every once in a while to do something for effect. All There was nothing in that film that I didn't feel like I would see in a standard American version of this. Yeah, I uh, think that uh, what I attributed to foreign, I meant, like, the streets, the names, you know, just 
the look, like the setting. You could have sent an American over to make it in Sweden, and I think I would have gotten the same like quirky postcard view of like, oh, they, they, they I don't think they drive they're on Nazis the Nazis and rapists. <laughs> yeah, they, or you know, they eat a lot of fish. I don't know what <laughs> shots of like skylines or things you get them in the in the Bourne movies where he goes to Germany and places, and you're like, ooh, how exotic. Yeah. Uh, just because it's different from what I see every day. So yeah, I agree that these, the filmmaking style is very Hollywood. Uh, it didn't feel like the Seventh Seal or something. Right. And actually, I think that it's interesting saying that, and it might be a better topic for a later discussion, like things like Hong Kong cinema or you know foreign movies that people praise here and bring to Hollywood and say, oh, look how kind of foreign it is, or like we had entire classes on Hong Kong cinema and their tropes of like, non-linear editing and these things like that. Or John Woo, people said, oh, look, he's coming from Hong Kong cinema. And actually, he wasn't. Like, John Woo was trying to make Hollywood movies. He looked at Hollywood and go, oh, I want to try and make that. And people went, look how foreign and weird this style of making movies over here is. Let's bring him over here and see if he can make a Mission Impossible. Like, he was trying to make Hollywood movies. It like, just comes out weird because he's not. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, that's weird. You're making it over there. Like, just the making things in a different setting that isn't Hollywood, even if you're trying for the Hollywood style, comes out as a hybrid. And I think people kind of find it novel and interesting, even if that person wasn't trying to be. Yeah. I mean, arguably, that's... You could, tra you could, you could comment on that all the way back to Hitchcock when he first came to America. Like, yeah. It was very, very British, but he was trying to make a Hollywood movie in right. England. I think we were wrapping up and I, I went backwards because I forgot. I derailed us. Uh, Should have been one shot earlier. <laughs> Don't yes, I did dislike the film more than you did, uh, but I would not go to go so far as to say it was a bad movie. I would rec if anybody uh, was in the mood for a kind of you know gritty thriller and doesn't mind a foreign film, I would recommend pulling this up on Netflix. It's better than a lot of movies that I've seen this year, so uh, I can't go so far as to say it's a bad movie. I just did not hit the level of hype. the high expectations and the hype that I had heard from the about the book and then the movie. So that's it for this week. Maybe next week we're going to watch the David Fincher one and we'll discuss that. And we got Rashomon uh, still to get <laughs> to. And you brought up some Ingmar Bergman, so maybe we'll have to loop that in there. Now remember, if, like me, you didn't enjoy this film, you can write us at toomuchfilmschool at gmail.com and tell Casey why he's wrong. But if you think I'm wrong, eh, keep it to yourself. Thanks for listening. Yeah, <laughs>